God, we need you. We need you right now. And God, as we as we continue to dig into your word, as we continue to see what you have for us today, teach us, as that song just said, teach us, teach our songs, God, to rise to you. And not to anything else, not to be distracted by the things of this world, but to be singularly focused on you. To see you glorified in all aspects of our life. God, speak loud through your word today. Speak loud through me. Remove all of my own obstacles and get them out of the way so that your word might be magnified today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good afternoon, how are y'all? One fine, how are y'all? I got a thumbs up in the back, okay, good. At least you guys are awake. It's hard to tell, because you guys got masks on and you can easily close your eyes and then pull it up over your eyes and I wouldn't know, um, which would be weird, but um, it's good to see y'all, I'm glad you are here. Thank you, Mick, I appreciate the joke back there. (laughs) Um, We've been in the book of Ezra. Um, We took a break last week to talk to the pastor, Eric Williams. from Calvary Baptist Temple. If you didn't get a chance to see that, that video, go watch it. It was an enlightening um, conversation about how we can engage uh, this topic of, of race in our country right now. So if you haven't seen that, go, go watch it. But, but we're, we're digging into the book of Ezra, and we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them there. Um, Ezra is in the Old Testament. It's before Psalms. It's right before Nehemiah in the Old Testament, so you'll, you'll find it there. But as we look at the book of Ezra, we kind of got to get a picture of, of where we're at in the timeline of the history of Israel. In order for us to understand where we're at right now in the book of Ezra, we need to get a timeline of where we're at with the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. Abraham, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, from you, the whole world will be blessed. This is a promise he makes Abraham, and Abraham's son, Isaac, has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they find themselves then shortly thereafter enslaved in Egypt, and then for 400 years, and then Moses comes and, and by the grace of God leads them out of Egypt across the Red Sea and they wander in the wilderness. These are all stories we've heard, right? We're just putting them in in a timeline order. They're wandering through the desert for 40 years and they finally cross the Jordan into the land that was promised to Abraham, the promised land. And at that point, they are are moving around the promised land and, and finally they establish a king and King Saul. And King Saul is not doing the best things. So then God establishes King David. And David assumes the throne. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, you can see it. He finally takes the throne after Saul's death and immediately establishes the city of Jerusalem where they... Still, that's still home base for the Jewish nation. So the people of God, Abraham's promise from God, you will be my, I will be your God and you will be my people. And through you, I will bless the whole earth. God's people finally get a city of God in Jerusalem. 
And there in the city of God, David's son Solomon builds a temple to God or a house for God. And then Israel decides, the people of Israel decide to spill water on the pulpit as I came up here. Um, Thank you. (laughs) The, The people of God aren't living the way that God is asking them to live. And they are routed out of Israel and taken into exile in Babylon. And they dwell there for 70 years. And that's where we're at at the beginning of Ezra. This whole history of Israel, the people of God, establishing the city of God and having a house of God are now removed. The people of God are removed from that city and removed from that house and are in exile. And the whole book of Ezra is the people of God returning to the city of God, rebuilding the house of God and repenting to their God. It's a beautiful picture and that's where we're at in Ezra. The people of God have returned. God has made a way for them to come back. In chapter 1 of Ezra, we see this, verse 1 and 2. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So the king, who is over Israel in exile, says, God has stirred something up in me to send you back so that you might build a house of worship for him in Jerusalem. So the people of God have been sent back to the city of God with a purpose to rebuild the house of God that was torn down when they went into exile. There's a purpose behind all of this. So that's where we end up. And in chapter 3 is kind of the beginning of this picture. The first section is is the people of Israel come together in chapters 3, 1 through 5. And they they build an altar where they can worship. And Scott spoke to that a couple of weeks ago. And we see in verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But... The foundation of the temple was not yet laid. They hadn't started building anything. They've just got an altar. And so, verse 7, they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant they had from from Cyrus, king of Persia. And so, with the altar being built, but the foundation not being laid, they started the work. They started the work. And they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and supplies to the others who were doing the building. So how did they get this stuff to build? How did they get the provision to build We already saw that that God was already at work in making a way through King Cyrus. And in in chapter 1, verse 4, it says that 
Each survivor, the people going back in whatever place he sojourns, should be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that's in Jerusalem. So the king of Persia, sending them back, makes a way through his provision and his decree. Hey, as you encounter people on your way back, they are to supply you with the things that you're going to need to rebuild. They're supposed to give you what you need in silver and in gold and also free will offerings so that the house of God may be rebuilt. God has already, was already at work. He was already making a way for the people to build this temple. And then we see in chapter 2, verse 68, they have come back. They've come into the city. And it says in verse 68, some of the heads of the families... When they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, they made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. So not only was it God at work in the people provide, making a way before Israel even got to Jerusalem, but once they got to Jerusalem, the people who came back made, gave sacrificially with purpose. They didn't come and just say like, oh, here's a couple bucks. But no, here, we're going to give with purpose so that the house of God might be built. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury 61,000 derricks of gold and 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priests' garments. See, God was at work in the king in his provision to make a way for Israel to come back and to build, but also the people who were there gave sacrificially. They didn't just come in and take and build. No, they came in, they, they received what God gave and said, look, I'm going to give as well. And they gave sacrificially. And then they were able to pay well and provide the best supplies that they needed in order to do the building. They gave money to the Masons and the Carpenters, food and drink to the Sidonians and the Tyrians. And they brought cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa. This, this is the, the best of the best. The cedar trees from Lebanon are, are the best of the best. And they went and got those because God has made a way. And that picture right there of the cedar trees from Lebanon coming by sea to Joppa is just an echo of the temple that Solomon built. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, you can see that picture where he goes and gets cedar trees from Lebanon. And they're brought by sea to Joppa. It's just echoes of that. God's providing the best of the best for them through the community, giving them what they needed along the way to get them back to Jerusalem, but then also through the people giving sacrificially, not just because they think it's a nice thing to do, but no, because there's a purpose behind it. We're going to build something. And we're going to build something that's worth it. God is making a way for the people not only to return, but also to rebuild. In verse 8, we see that the building begins. The building begins in verse 8. Uh, da, 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 da. Now, in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, what a great name. Is Zach still here? He walked out. He, they're, they're about to have a baby. Zerubbabel, I think, would be a great name. Uh, he thinks it's a boy. I think it's a girl. Uh, so Zerubbabel is not such a great name for a girl, but here we go. Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zo Josadak, 
made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen and the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites and their sons and brothers. What we see here in verses 8 and 9 is that as the building began, they were united together. They were united together. Zerubbabel and Jesua with all of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity came together and were united in this. And then they cooperated together. They appointed Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work. And then the work began. So not only was God providing and making a way through the community around them as they left Babylon and headed back towards Jerusalem, but God made a way through the people giving sacrificially. And then God also made a way by there not being any squabbling as the building began. I remember attending my church in Kearney when I was growing up. We were getting new carpet, and the fight that happened over the color of the carpet was crazy. There wasn't any of that. They weren't worried about what was going to happen or how it was going to be built, but no, as one body of people coming together saying, this is what God has called us to do. We are going to fully united go after this purpose. And that's what they do. The building began. And when the builders, verse 10, laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. This verse does not make sense to me because you don't get up and get excited about a foundation being laid. It's not something that we do today. If we pour a foundation, it's like, okay, there's a foundation, but there's no house. But the people of God, being back in the city of God, who are rebuilding the house of God with purpose, see the joy in having a foundation laid. They see the joy, and it's worthy of worship. With just the foundation laid, they worshiped. In Zach's office at the church, um, hanging on his dry erase board, is the master plan for our building on our church property. It's not much. It's just kind of an outline of a building with some rooms in it, and there's a parking lot. But it's exciting. It's exciting to look out my window of the, of the, at the office and look out across the field and to see a tree that's got a ribbon tied around it and to know that that's the corner of the new building that's coming and to imagine what God is going to do in and amongst his people. It's exciting. It wells up something in us. When you go into Zach's office and he wants to show it to you, just stop by uh, and, and show up and make him show it to you because he gets like super excited and starts dancing around his office. It's kind of cute to see what he's doing. But he's pumped about it. God is moving in some way. We don't even have a foundation. All we have is a giant piece of paper with an outline of a building on it. But that's worthy of our worship. 
It's worthy of our praise. They praised God just at the foundation being laid. Verse 11, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. So they weren't dismayed by the fact that time after time after time, things didn't seem to go the right way for Israel. They didn't seem to remember the fact that they just came out of exile and back into their homes. But no, they worshiped God right here. His steadfast love endures forever remembering that he made a way for them, that he's provided for them, that he's united them, and a foundation for the house of God has been laid. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. It's worthy of worship, even if it's just a piece of paper tacked up on the wall. It's worthy of worship to know that God is moving among his people and that he's making a way not only for us to build, but he's making a way for us to shout how good he is to the community around us. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men, who'd seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw this of this foundation being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. There were men who were around when Israel was taken into exile, and they remember the grandeur of Solomon's temple. They remember the worship that happened in that temple. They remember God's presence in that temple and they were brought to tears because what if this one isn't what once was? They are brought to tears because what if God doesn't move the way that he moved before in this temple? And many of us who've been at Gateway for a long time remember um, exactly where you were sitting in that gymnasium in Hall McCarter when specific things happened, when people's lives were changed, when stories were told. We can remember the smell of the gym being freshly waxed and walking in there. We can remember setting up chairs and taking them down. We can remember the specific songs that we sang where we felt the presence of God move in our life. But we can also look up and look forward to what God is going to do as we move on. It's not saying those things aren't worth it. They're worthy of looking back and remembering. But we remember so that we can look forward. Because if I only remember just to remember and I sit and I wallow in my nostalgia, I miss out on what God is doing in the present. And so I remember, I look back at the times when I led you in worship and we sang as one united. And God was praised and I look forward to the day when we're in that new building and I get to lead you in worship and with one voice we let out a great shout, the Lord is good. I look forward to that day. I get excited about that. 
As the people were shouting, verse 13, the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with such a great shout that the sound was heard far away. The sound was heard far away. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music nerd. Um, I like to like dig into the theory behind music and think through all of those things that happen in there. And every once in a while, because of that, I find myself down a weird internet rabbit hole. Um, watching people play weird songs and weird music. And, and one day, not too long ago, I found myself watching this guy named Rob Scanlon. And he's just a, he's just a musician and he can play a lot of instruments. And one of the instruments that he was interviewing this guy about is a pipe organ in Chicago. It's Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago. It's right on Michigan Avenue across from, what are they calling that building now? It's not the Willis Tower. Is it the Hancock Building? Or like whatever they're calling that, the Sears Tower, that's what we remember it as. That building, it's right across the street from there. And in that conversation, they talk about the intricacies of a pipe organ and how it works. And I want you guys just to watch, nerd out with me for like two and a half minutes. Hang in there, don't fall asleep. And just listen to how he describes a pipe organ. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Watch this with me. We're here at the Fourth Presbyterian Church right here in downtown Chicago with John Shear talking about pipe organ. You were talking about these pipes. Each one of yeah. those pipes weighs a thousand pounds. <laughs> and how many pipes does, does this organ have? has over 8,000 pipes in it. Oh my God. Each one of those weighs a thousand pounds and, and they're up to 32 feet tall. And what notes, like what notes do those play? It's so the, the really low notes, yeah. the, the bigger the pipes, the lower the note. And some of the pipes are like as small as my little finger. And so those play the really high notes. Where, where are those? They're scattered all over the place. So, oh, so this isn't just like the instrument is just back here. So you got pipes here in the front, you got pipes in the back, and you got pipes over on the side. So the organ is really like surround sound around the, the whole room. Wow. Basement to ceiling, front to back, side to side. So this instrument is literally the size of a building. It is. You said this is the largest pipe organ in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So that also means this is the largest instrument in Chicago. Yeah, it is. So maybe we'll start just with the absolute basics. What is a pipe organ? Pipe organ is a wind instrument because it, it relies on wind going through each pipe. Uh, people see the keyboards and they think it's a keyboard instrument, but it's really, really a wind instrument. Like it's almost like a, a cockpit of an airplane. Yeah. You sit down here and you're absolutely surrounded mm -hmm. by control devices. All, all of this just makes the organ function and it makes the sounds of the organ happen. And do you use all, all of, of this? All of this. You got 204 stops. This is where the phrase pulling out all the stops comes from. Oh, really? Yeah. So you got oh, 200. And what, what is a stop? So the stop controls the pipes. So when you pull out a stop and you press down on the key, the air goes right through the pipe and you get the sound. And if you turn that off, then you don't get anything. Right. Now it's gone. And if you turn them all on? You get the whole thing. When you have all the stops. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's a lot of sound. Yeah. Wow. Can we try that one again? I wish I could translate the video how loud that is. <laughs> That's about 115 decibels. Wow.
if you open up the doors, everybody on Michigan Avenue would hear that. Yeah. <laughs> if you open up the doors, everyone on Michigan, Michigan Avenue will hear that. What does it look like for us every day to pull out all the stops? That's the phrase that kept running through my head as I read Ezra chapter 3. They were shouting so loud that the people from far away could hear them. They pulled out all the stops. There was nothing inhibiting them. They were fully open and ready to go to declare what God is doing. We just have a foundation. That's how excited they were. What does it look like for us to pull out all the stops in our lives? He talked about the different size of the pipes, a, a, a giant 32-foot, 1,000-pound pipe. I'm six foot six and about 300 pounds. I'm a pretty big pipe, right? But then we got Vivian and Amelia saying, the Lord is good with their little tiny pipes. What does it look like for us as a community, as a body of believers, to leave this space and indwell the community that we live in with the praises of our Lord? What does it look like for us to walk out of this room and say, look at what God has done in my life and in the lives of my people in my church. Look at what God is doing. He's moving in a big way. He brought us into a into a school building. I'm spitting, I'm excited. He brought us into a school building and provided for us for over 15 years. And then in the midst of a virus, he brings us to this church and they provide us with open arms. And then he draws up a plan by the architect that has already drawn up plans on that, on that property before so many years ago. He brings all of this to us. What does it look like for us to walk into the community and be the largest instrument in Blue Springs and Grain Valley and Lee Summit and say, look at how good my God is? Or are we just going to sit back and push our stops in and stay quiet? What does it take for us to pull out all the stops? What does it take for us to be uninhibited with our praise of God? The biggest question for us as a church moving forward, we feel like is, we've got this building plan now, how are we gonna pay for it? And it's a question that I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, I, this, I, this is hard. But the bigger question, the better question is, I can't wait to see how God will provide. I can't wait to be able to tell those stories of how God will provide. So for us as a church, as a body of believers, as we're, we're getting ready to build this building in, in a, in a, in a, in a, at some point, I mean, the, the plans are coming. As we're getting ready to build this building, what does it look for up, like for us to live in such a way that we give sacrificially with purpose behind it? Not just, hey, uh, you know, here's a couple of bucks here and there. But no, I got an action plan behind this and this is how I'm going to give. And it's going to hurt. Because when you give, when you do something sacrificially, it hurts a little bit. You got to actually give something away. What does it look like for us to live sacrificially? And if you're not a member of Gateway, that, I'm not calling you to do this. This is just for us as a people. Like, hey, what does it look like for you to give sacrificially to this purpose? What does it look like to know the stories of God moving in the lives of our people and for that to compel inside of you? 
this is what God is calling us to. This is what I'm going to give to sacrificially. And it could be a one-time thing or the better, the better question for me and for my family is this. Over the next six months, what are you calling us to give? And then how do I reorient my life around that so that I'm able to do it? God, are you calling to give me this dollar amount over the next six months? How do I cut out meals eating out? How do I change some of the habits that I have so that that's possible? Do I forego the summer vacation that I have planned next summer? What does it look like to live sacrificially? Because we see it right here in the text. The people sacrificed. They gave with purpose. So what if you leave here tonight and you sit around your dinner table as a family or, or, you, or you just pray and ask God, hey, give me, tell me what I'm supposed to give. And then move towards that. The other thing we see is God working. So how will God provide? We will give sacrificially, but God is working in the community here in Ezra. The king makes a way for them to come back to Jerusalem and to build. He makes a way for them to do that. So how do we engage our community in this endeavor that we have to build? I don't mean go knocking on your neighbor's doors and go, hey, can you give us a couple hundred dollars so that we can put a window in? That's not what I mean, but what I mean is to go out and to pull out all the stops in the way that we live our lives and tell the community around us the stories of what God is doing in your life and the life of others and engage them in such a way that their heart is bent towards him and ask them to join us. Come and join us. Maybe your next door neighbor is with a, 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 con a concrete guy. He, he runs a concrete company. And you know what? We're going to need a lot of concrete. And you spend time telling him about the works of our God. And that compels him to give his labor. That compels him to help us in this endeavor in some way. Because to be honest with you, when you see the numbers on the wall, it's scary. But when you see the numbers in God's hands, we can trust him. So what does it look like for us to give sacrificially and then to invite the community in? And the only way we can do that is if we pull out all the stops and make him known. So who are the people that you can start having conversations with, with purpose? Hey, let me tell you what God's doing. Let me, let me act differently around you than I've been acting in the past so that you might know that God is moving in my life. What does it look like for us to pull out all the stops so that God can move in the way that he wants to move? And we don't inhibit him. We don't, we don't try and put him in a box, but instead we throw open the doors and say, come on. I can't wait to see what you're going to do in my life and in the lives of our church, in the lives of our community. So we have an opportunity even today. It's our first fruit Sunday. It's the first Sunday of every month. And, and on those Sundays, we haven't been able to do this because we had to meet virtually for so long. And the first Sunday of every month, we, we ask that we give a special offering specifically for the building fund. And so we're going to worship here in a minute. And there's a basket here. And if you feel compelled to give sacrificially this, this afternoon, come and give as we worship. No pressure. No anything. But what is God calling you to give today? And then go home. And ask God, what are you calling me 
to give over time? What are you calling me to give over time? And let's see what God can do when we pull out all the stops. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this picture of worship that we see in Ezra chapter 3, where with a loud voice, your name is praised. God, I thank you that you've called us to live our lives in such a way where we are making a loud noise in our world of who you are and what you've done for us. That you brought us from the brink of death and brought us into life. And so God, therefore, we wanna declare how great you are. As we sing this morning and we bring our offerings, let them be a blessing to you. Let our, let our voices be pleasing to your ear. But God, let it renew a spirit in us that we can worship you every day. No holds barred. Pulled out all the stops. God, let your name be glorified today. In your name I pray.